Revelation chapter number 3 and begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible said unto the angel of the church in Sardis, write, These things saith he that hath seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and are dead. Verse number 2. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Father, we thank you tonight for the word of God. We pray now, Lord, that you'll help us these next few moments. Thank you for the good testimonies, the songs that have been sung tonight. I pray now that you'll take the word of God and speak to us and speak through us. Help us, Lord, to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And I pray, God, that you'll be glorified and, and magnified in our midst. And we ask it all in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated tonight. I want to preach a few minutes tonight on this subject on God's faithful few. God's faithful few. Uh, this is the message here, the Bible says, unto the angel of the church in Sardis Rite. And when you think about the city of Sardis, Sardis was a city that was built on a plateau with five different uh, major intersections coming into that city. And as we come to this text here, Christ is speaking through uh, John the Revelator as he talks to the church of Sardis. And as he mentions or talks to this church, there's three things I want you to notice and then we'll move on to the message that God has laid upon our heart tonight. But the first thing I see in verse number one is the name of this church. He said, unto the angel of the church of Sardis, right? Now, the name Sardis in itself means the red ones. And as uh, the, the angel is speaking here uh, to the pastor of this church, he's talking, or Christ is speaking rather uh, to the pastor of this church here. Sardis was a church that, that had a name. In fact, he says in verse number one, I know thy works, that thou hast a name. And uh, this was a church that in the community, uh, as busy as this community in this metropolis of a city it was, that if you mentioned the church of Sardis, everyone knew uh, where that church was at and what that church was about. It was a church that had a name. And uh, I think that when you consider our church and you consider other churches, I am not necessarily talking about the name that is on the sign out there, uh, but a church can get a name within a community. Sometimes it is a good name and sometimes it is a bad name, but Sardis was a church that uh, had a good name. It was a, a name of fame, if you will, that whenever the church of Sardis was spoken about, it was spoken of very highly. People uh, identified that church with, with being a good church or even a spiritual church for that matter so uh, there's the name of this church but then there's the nightmare of this church look at verse number one as Christ says that I know thy works that thou hast a name that thou livest uh, this was a name that it was a lively church but, but the nightmare was that the Bible says that thou hast a name that thou livest uh, and thou art dead amen so wouldn't that be shocking to this church to find out that while oh, so many people in the community and so many people People were talking about how lively of a church it was. Uh, the very one that it counted, the very one that knew, and the very one that it meant the most to said, you're really not alive, but you're dead. I'm gonna tell you, we live in a day when a lot of churches are dead. 
And the nightmare of this church is that it thought it had a great pulse. It thought that it was moving forward. It thought that uh, it was going on. Everybody in the community thought this church was alive, but Christ says that really you're not alive, you're dead. There's, a, there's the name of this church. There's the nightmare of this church. And then there's the neglect of this church. What was it that caused this church to be uh, just living on this lifeline here? He said, be watchful and strengthen the things that remain that are ready to die. I have not found thou works perfect before God. So the great neglect of this church was, was that they got to the place that they were no longer watchful. And I want to be honest with you tonight, that's the way every church dies. When we take our eyes off of the things that are necessary and when we start looking and, and uh, uh, listen, uh, looking at the temperature and losing focus of what is right and what needs to be done, our church will die. Amen. I think that's the responsibility of the pastor is to constantly be measuring the pulse and the temperature of the church. Now, I don't think it's the, uh, uh, I don't think it is the uh, responsibility of the church. I think it's the responsibility of the man of God. Amen? What I mean by that is uh, don't be the spiritual thermometer in the church. I'm not the spiritual thermometer in the church, but as the man of God, you're to watch for the souls uh, of those that God has entrusted you with. And I want to tell you a lot of times in church, uh, as a pastor, God will turn the light on and he'll show you some things that are weak, uh, some things that are about ready to die. You know, one of the things the Lord showed me just recently that we're gonna fix is that oftentimes, and it's not just here, it's everywhere. Invitation songs are sung so weak. I mean, I see it in this church and I see it in every other church. And a good reminder, and you'll hear me say this often here, uh, especially in these next few weeks, because we wanna, I think when you see a problem, you ought to fix it. Can I get an Amen. We don't need to continue with that problem. We need to correct it. Isn't that right? And I'll tell you sometimes when I am in revival meetings and even here in our church, oftentimes the singing in the invitation is so weak that I think oftentimes that the emphasis is lost because I remember, uh, I remember whenever I wasn't right with God and when the invitation would come and the, the preacher would give the invitation, man, the people would get in and they would lift their voice up just like they were singing in the choir and they would sing with all of their might them songs just as I am without one plea. They would sing them songs on most persuaded, softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Well, I'll tell you, those songs would ring out and the convicting power of God would move as the saints were singing. Amen? I think the devil wants to rock us to sleep, but listen, friend, we've got to be watchful. When we see something that's weak, we got to fix it. Can I get an amen? I think whenever we see our church temperature uh, drying up and people stop saying amen, they stop shouting hallelujah, they stop raising their hand, we ought to fix that. Somebody say amen right there. I'm telling you, listen, whenever uh, the man of God sees something in his life, he ought to fix it. We've got to be watchful. We've got to be observant. We've got to walk circumspectly. We've got to keep our eye on the on what we're supposed to keep our eye on. Whenever we stop winning souls, when we stop uh, reaching out and passing out tracks, uh, we've got to fix those problems. We've got to be watchful as Christians. That's how things die, is when we're not watchful. That's the neglect of this church. And then not only was the fact they weren't watchful, they didn't strengthen the things that were remaining. Thank God for the, that there is some, still some people that say amen during the preaching. But there are others that could pull up and help them and strengthen what still remains. There's not always gonna be a Tom Barnes sitting there. 
I remind you, uh, listen, there once was a James Rowland that, that sit right there that shouted. There once was an Andy Anderson that sit over here and that shouted. There once was a Jack Middleton that sit there. You see, those people are gone. There once was a, a dinky goldsmith that would get up and would sing and, and was a blessing and, and we would shout and praise God uh, uh, with them, but they're gone. They're not here tonight. And so somebody's got to fill their shoes. Somebody has got to pull up and get in their place. Somebody has got to pick up the baton and, and we can't wait till they're dead and gone. No, we need some young people. We need some young adults. And thank God we do have some. You young men start saying amen all the time during the preaching and, and during the singing. Get fired up for God. That's how you strengthen the things that remain. You see, pastoring is oftentimes like this. We're never working on today. We're always working on a month from now, a year from now, six years from now. Oftentimes, the Holy Spirit will open my, my eyes to things that may not be a problem right now, but it will be down the road. It's always been that way. God will show something that's on the horizon. I think oftentimes preaching it should always be that way. We should, if a problem arises, we ought to deal with it. But we shouldn't wait till problems come to start preaching. But we should do preventive maintenance. Preach on everything now so that maybe it will never come down the road. Isn't that right? Hit everything right now and deal with everything right now. Fix everything now. Put things in place now so that it's not a problem down the road. I appreciate those that can, uh, that Brother David that leads singing, those that plays the instruments. Isn't that wonderful? And we thank God for that. But we've got to constantly be working about tomorrow. Who's going to fill their shoes one day? Who's going to take their place one day? We're not moving them out of their position. We, we want them all to live to be 100. Isn't that right? Somebody say amen. But if they don't live to be 100, somebody's got to be ready to step up and to take their place. Even as a pastor, I plan on outliving most of you. But you know, just the other day, I did some things. But just in case I was to be gone, that my wife would be taken care of. Because a church cannot take care of her and the next pastor that comes along. Well, we don't like to think about those things. But it's reality, isn't it? It's all the time there's something. We have to be watchful in this life and there's the neglect there's the need of this church and it's the formula for revival in verse number three he said remember therefore uh, how thou hast received and heard you say preacher I, what is the need of every church it's to remember we ought to always remember how good God has been to us isn't that right we ought to always remember how good of a church we do have we ought to always remember what it was like when we first walked through these doors we ought to always remember how privileged we are to live in America to hear the gospel to own a King James Bible. We ought to always remember how blessed we are to sit under the truth and to hear preaching day in and day out. We ought to remember our freedom and our liberty that has been given unto us, uh, that we ought to exercise it and use it. We ought to always remember how blessed we are to be able to raise our hand in church uh, and to have a voice to say amen to the preaching. We ought to remember that had it not been for grace, had it not been for God, had it not been 
been for Calvary, had it not been for the blood of Jesus and the love of God and the sweet Holy Spirit, where would I be at today? Oh, where would I be in this world? Oh, I want to remember the acorns that God has dropped along my way, the handfuls of purpose, the plotted efforts of grace that God has put in my pathway. Oh, the fountain of living waters that he's allowed me to drink from, how he's been good to me. He's been good to my children. He's been good to my wife. He's been good to my grandchildren. We ought to remember some things in our life, amen. And then we ought to not only remember, but we must hold fast. That means we must remain. Isn't that right? I'm telling you, you've got to stay faithful to your church. You've got to stay faithful to the preaching of the word of God. We can't call it in these days. Listen, it's not popular to preach on sin, but we still gotta remain and hold fast and preach on sin. It's not popular to have a shouting church anymore, but we still ought to shout, amen? We ought to still praise God. Don't lose your shout. Amen. Don't lose your fire. I don't know why I can't get off that tonight, but I'm going to stay on it. I'm telling you, friend, don't lose the desire and the hunger to worship God. Amen. we got to remain. You gotta have longevity in church membership and then repent. Much has been preached about repentance this week, but it's in verse number three. He told every church here to repent because we all need to repent. Isn't that right? And then we ought to be ready. He said, I'll come as a thief as thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. I want to be ready, don't you, when Jesus comes. I wanna be ready in my soul. But I want to tell you, when we get to verse number four, he said, thou hast a few names even in Sardis. What I notice about here is when we come to verse number four, this is God's faithful few. Because what you have here is you have a church that has a name, they have fame, but the crowd in verse number four, they're not the same. Because the crowd in verse number four are few in number, but they're faithful. The crowd in verse number four, they're not popular in Sardis. They're, they're not known by Sardis. They, in fact, their names are not even listed in this, in this text here, but God recognizes them. God says there's just a few of you in Sardis still left. May have a big church, may have a big crowd, but there's just a few of you in Sardis uh, that you still have a name. Oh, not a name in Sardis, uh, but a name in heaven, amen? I wanna tell you tonight, I'd rather God know my name. I'd rather have my name in heaven tonight as to have the name and the fame of this world. I'd rather my friend heaven look down and shine upon my life as to hear the cheers of this world that can never offer you anything eternal. Jesus looked at this church and they said there's a lot of you that all you've got is a name. All you got is a little bit of fame in the community. But he said there's those faithful few. God said I'm taking recognition here. There are some of you still in Sardis. You've stayed with the stuff. You've been faithful. There's just a few of you but you've got a name, hallelujah. You know, tonight we live in a day when everybody wants a name. But I want to tell you tonight, the most important thing is that you have a name with God. And this crowd in verse number four, this is my crowd. I thought about when I read this this week, I thought, Lord, I had to get all the way to the end of the Bible to find the crowd that I really want to run with. It's just crowd in verse number four. They're, they're, they're not even listed. They're, they're, you know, you think about the genealogies and you think about all the names in the Bible. This crowd's got a name, but we don't even know what their name is. 
They're the names of the unnamed. We don't know who they are tonight, but God knows every one of them. They're faithful. They're just a few. But God recognizes them. I don't really want a name in this world. I don't want to be known by this world. But I sure would like for God to look down and say, you're that faithful few. You're that crowd that has stayed with it. You're that crowd that has stuck by the stuff. What I see about this crowd tonight, why I want to be a part of this crowd, is because when I look at them in verse number four, I notice, first of all, they're committed. He said, thou hast a few names even in Sardis. Amen. Now, Sardis, Sardis was a place uh, that it wasn't easy to be faithful. Sardis was a place when there was temptation on every hand. Sardis was a place where you could just kindly blend in. You could kindly have more of a contemporary uh, type name, but more of a contemporary uh, style of worship. But Sardis was a place, my friend, that the things of this world would have been so easily have drawn you aside. But what this crowd does in verse number four, they say the rest of the church may be going in one direction. The rest of the church may be going in a direction that they appear that they're alive, but they're really dead. But this crowd said, I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna be committed to the things uh, that I started out being committed to. And can I tell you something, 30 years later, I'm just gonna stick with the same Bible. I'm just gonna stick with the same crowd. I'm just gonna stick with the same things. Uh, It's worked for 30 years of my life. Uh, Why would I wanna change? Uh, I'm telling you what worked then will still work today. We just gotta be committed, amen. I still believe in soul winning. Somebody say amen. I still believe in telling people about Jesus Christ. I still believe on believe in knocking on doors. I, I still believe in living right and dressing right. Somebody say amen. I'm talking about being committed, amen. I still believe you ought to live above reproach. Somebody say amen. I still believe when you go to church, I, I listen, it ought to be an old-fashioned church. I, I still believe that no matter what the new and improved comes out with, I just want to be committed to the things that have always worked in my life. I don't need another perversion. A few years back, a friend of mine, he was telling me, he said, I, he said, I bought uh, some different, uh, different uh, perversions. They didn't say perversions, but he said versions of the Bible. And this is not the KJV, by the way. It's the KJB. It's not the King James Version. It's the King James Bible. Isn't that right? Separates it. It's the Bible that God uses. And I know there are people that are a lot smarter than I am that, uh, that, that, that say, well, if you knew the Greek and you knew the, well, I don't know the Greek and I don't know the Hebrew, but I know enough English to know that the English Bible I have is what works, amen? I'm not a theologian, but I'm telling you, friend, if Greek and Hebrew messed me up that much, I'd abandon that language altogether, amen? And I'm glad the Bible I hold in my hand tonight, it's unadulterated, it's inspired, it's infallible, it's indestructible, it's indisputable. I'm telling you, this is the book of all books tonight. It's enough, my friend, to deliver a man from hell. It'll keep your home on the rocks. It'll keep your life going in the right direction. It'll bring you peace. It'll bring you joy. It'll bring you comfort. I'm gonna tell you something. Dr. Bottle Stomper has come along too late in life to tell me that the book that's laying on that pulpit tonight, it has seen me through my darkest days. It has seen me through the hard times of life. It's helped me through the pitfalls of life. It still works. Hallelujah. And I don't need some philosopher or some psychologist 
to tell me that that book isn't real. Amen. Well, I feel good in my soul tonight. I'm glad, thank God, I'm committed unto the word of God. The Bible said, thy words are pure. Therefore, thy servant loveth it. He said, a silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve thee up from this generation forever, evermore. He said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. He said, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. He said, the entrance of thy word giveth light. I'm telling you, this book works tonight, amen. And the crowd in verse number four, they're committed. I wanna say tonight, this is my crowd because they're committed and then this is my crowd tonight because they're clean, amen. Notice what he said in verse number four. He said, which have not defiled their garments. You know, tonight, I want to live as clean as God will help me to live. I'm not up here tonight telling you that I'm squeaky clean, but I want to be. I don't want any sin in my life tonight. I'm telling you it's daily, isn't it? The struggle that we talk about, the position and uh, the condition. We'll never forget that sermon, will we? It's been preached 10 times today, hasn't it? And I like it. I don't care if we preach it for 10 weeks. But I'm telling you, I, when I think about it tonight, uh, listen, you're looking at somebody that's got more flaws than I would ever care to tell you about tonight. I've got a lot of imperfections in my life. I know that it'll be from here to the graveyard. God will have to continually work on this old lump of clay. There's nothing in me tonight worth boasting about. In me dwelleth no good thing and I have no confidence in this flesh tonight. Without him, I can do nothing tonight. I'm telling you, I'm reminded, my friend, I must die daily and crucify this old man. I'm telling you, this old stuff tonight it's my greatest enemy it's not the world it's not the devil but the greatest enemy that I face is the one that I shave every morning I'm telling you this old stuff that we're wrapped up in it's just a vice I mean it's just wicked it's ungodly it's against everything that God is for but amongst the midst of all of that I'm glad that God made a way through this book that we don't have to be defiled by this world we can live clean we can have a good conscience amen we can pit our head at night and know that we can find mercy, we can find forgiveness and we can find grace, amen you know yesterday afternoon I'd been doing some work and so I took a shower and uh, got out of the shower, you just feel so much better when you take a shower, don't you that helps some people if they just learn to take a shower amen, you ever been around somebody that hadn't learned that amen but I'll tell you, I just felt so much better I went to tell my wife for a little bit we ate supper and we came back home and, and then later on went to bed. And when I got up this morning, guess what? I took another shower. Amen. He said, well, you took one yesterday. I know, but just because I took one yesterday, that didn't mean I didn't need one today. Amen. And so I took another one and I'll take another shower. And you know what? Just something about, yeah, I, I, listen, I, I'm not always clean. But when I get dirty, I know how to fix it. I know where to go. Amen. How many of y'all like dial soap? Okay. There's only nine people in this church that's clean tonight. God help the rest of you. Dial soap would strip the pain off a 57 Chevy. Amen. I went to my skin doctor a while back. He said, you use dial soap, don't you? He said, I can tell by looking. I said, absolutely. High octane. Amen. He said, you know you're just destroying your flesh. I said, I sure, I'm cleaner. 
He said, well, don't you know? And he tried to go into this detail about all these different oils in your body and how they're, you know, you need all these oils. And, and he's telling me all this stuff. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, I'm not an automobile. Amen. I don't need greased up every day. I, I, I don't need a, he said, you know, he said, you, you're stripping all that good stuff off your body. I said, yeah, but I feel a whole lot better with it gone. He just shook his head. I said, well, I know what you're telling me medically is probably, and all that other kind of stuff is probably right. But I said, I'll tell you why I use dial up. Because you feel clean. Amen. I gave in and used a little bit of something he asked me, but I wasn't happy about it. Amen. You know what? I want to be clean. And I want to tell you something tonight. There's a lot of other versions that people say is the word of God. But none of them will make you clean. Brother, tonight, I don't care what anybody says. You hear me and hear me well. If you don't get anything else, I preach tonight. There is no substitute for living a clean life. I'm not talking about salvation, but I'm talking about that condition that he preached about. Brother, I'm telling you, we'll struggle with that condition, but I'm glad we can live clean tonight. There's just something about clean living, getting sin out of your life, confessing your sin and living clean. This crowd is my crowd because they're clean, because they're committed, and then they're close. Notice what he said, and they shall walk with me in white. You know why they're walking with him one day in white? Because they're walking with him right now. They're walking with him. I encourage you tonight. You want to enjoy church and you want to be blessed, walk with God. I think the most miserable person I've ever met in my life was not a lost person, but it was a saved person that was living like a lost person. You can be in church tonight, but when you start dabbling and doing things that you know God's not pleased with, you lose your joy. It may not always be deep, dark, gross sin, but you just quit reading your Bible. You quit praying. You start listening to things you shouldn't listen to. You start looking at things you shouldn't look at. Or maybe you're not doing either one of those things. Maybe you're just spending so much time doing everything else. But you're not spending time with God. You know, I preached this someplace and got in trouble for it, but it's true. I wish my children would come by, make a note of this. I wish they would come by, Brother Brian. I wish y'all would come by and just stay hours upon hours. At least I wish that today. <laughs> He's smart enough not to do that. But I wish that when they move out, you just, you know, you, 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 know you, you wish they were still there. Even though you're thankful for their life. And I wish they would come by and just stay hours with me. But they can't do that. They have their own life. They have their own responsibilities. They have their own things. So you know how I am? My door is always open. Anytime they want to come by. Anytime they want to stop in. Doesn't matter to me if they stay 10 minutes or if they stay two hours. The time is precious. And I'm going to tell you, believe this or not tonight, I found it to be true. It's always better to stay two hours with God than it is 20 minutes. But the door's always open. And I found that sometimes 20 minutes with God can be as precious as two hours. He said, what are you saying? I'm saying stop by, spend time. Read, pray. He said, well, I can't pray but 10 minutes. Then pray 10 minutes. Some people will say, well, if you can't pray an hour, you should pray. I'd beg to differ that. There's some days I wanted to pray an hour and I couldn't pray an hour, but I prayed 10 minutes. Do you know what I found out? If you'll do 10 minutes long enough, 
Ten minutes will turn into an hour. If you'll read one chapter a day, guess what? You'll start reading two chapters a day. You say, well, I can't read ten. See, sometimes the devil makes us think because we can't do something overwhelming. Why do it at all? The bottom line is this. It doesn't matter when they stop by. I'm glad they came. I'm going to tell you the throne room is open tonight. There's been times when I couldn't have prayed an hour. I'm talking about the burden was too heavy. There's times I couldn't say a word. I just fell on my face and wept and said, Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. And he heard every bit of that. And he answered that prayer. There's times he, he hears. I'm telling you tonight, I love this crowd because they're close and then they're counted worthy tonight. I want to say one last thing in verse number five. They're conquerors. The Bible says, he that overcometh. Do you know tonight there's not a problem, there's not a sin, there's not a trouble that what God can't help you overcome it tonight. One of the greatest messages preached last year, I think, in this church was preached on the Thanksgiving night when Brother Green came by and wasn't even scheduled to preach. Just picked him up from the airport. He was just staying at the house to go preach at the camp. And, and that night, I remember as he came in, I thought, he's, he's flown, he's traveled all day. I thought, I'm not going to ask him to preach. Brother Adams did a great job preaching. But I felt a little stir in my soul. And the Lord said, ask him to preach. I went back there and he said, oh, I, he said I didn't even bring no notes with me tonight. He said, I, he said, I, he said, I don't have anything. And I said, well, just can you preach something? And he said, I'll, I'll pray about it. And that sermon he preached that night about the man who killed the lion on the snowy day. He went down in the pit and he killed the greatest enemy in the greatest place, a pit, under the greatest conditions, snow. And he talked about how that God gave the victory over that great enemy in that worst place in that worst condition. You know, tonight we're overcomers. Tonight there's not a problem that prayer cannot fix. There's not a trouble tonight that what a bended knee could not fix tonight. There's not a person as far away from God as they may have wondered. Tonight, if you'll trust Him and if you'll ask Him, that God's not able to deliver them. You may be here tonight and say, Preacher, my life's a wreck. My, my, my Christian life is so up and down and in and out and, and I don't know what to do. I'll tell you what to do. You ought to get close to Him. You ought to come tonight and say, God, I can't conquer this in my life. God knows I've tried, but you can help me. He'll help you do that tonight. Tonight, you may be here and say, oh, I've just made a mess of my life. I've made a lot of mistakes. I've got a lot of regrets, a lot of scars. Why don't you get saved, but I've got a lot of regrets. Why don't you get in this altar tonight and say, God, would you just clean me up? God, would you clean me up tonight? Would you forgive me of all my sins? Lord, I've failed you and I've failed you and I've failed you. But tonight, would you wash me? Would you make, if you'll repent, God will clean you up tonight. As we stand, our heads are bowed, eyes are closed. She's going to play softly for just a moment. But I invite you to come to this altar. I don't care how long it's been. Say it's been a long time since I've earnestly prayed, then you ought to tonight. You ought to start right here. Say, Lord, cleanse me. Like you did, David, like the preacher talked about, cleanse me tonight. I'm telling you, you can have victory in your soul. He's able to do that.